along the lines of one Paul, uh, one of Paul's epistles and what he wrote to the churches. But as Jude uh, began to contemplate this and he began to write this letter of encouragement, it kind of took a different turn. And the Holy Spirit moved him in a different direction. And he said, when I began to write this, intended to write about the salvation, he said, I found it necessary. So there was a compelling of the Holy Spirit that moved upon Jude for him to write a, different, a letter about a different subject matter and to exhort the believers to earnestly, he said, to earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And so he was to, to going to write now an epistle about the battle against false teachers, against false teaching, against apostate teachers and apostasy. So basically that's what this letter is about. And Jude realizes that these believers in this early church, time needed to be stirred up to contend earnestly for that faith that had been delivered to them. That word delivered means to be passed on or to be handed down. So the faith is, is uh, the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of the Bible, the inspired word of God, the, the cardinal doctrines and beliefs of the word of God. It is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, that means there's not another faith there's not another way. There's not another gospel. And, you know, Paul talked about that, didn't he, in Galatians. And he, he even he warned those Christians in Galatia. He said, if anyone comes to you preaching any other gospel than what we have already preached to you, let him be accursed. Isn't that what he said? And then he even reiterated that fact and said it again. He said, even, he even added there, he said, even if it's an angel from heaven. I, I told that to some Mormons that came and visited my house one day. I said, you know, Paul, you know, I said, didn't you get the, uh, the book of uh, Joseph Smith, get the book of Mormon from an angel named Moroni? And they even call that another gospel, the book of Mormon. And I said, you know, the apostle Paul said, even if an angel from heaven brings any other gospel than what's already been, that he had already preached, they were to be accursed. And so um, there is no new revelation, and that's what Jude was talking about. There is no new teachings, new doctrines. Everything is in this, in this book right here. Uh, the gospel uh, or the uh, canon of the Word of God has been completed. And we found out there in Revelation, if you remember, that there was a warning given there at the end of the book of Revelation that you know not to, for that no one was to add to, no one was to take away, and so Jude is uh, writing to the believers and teaching them and exhorting them and admonishing them to be aware of false doctrine and false teachers. I think this same message, and this is why I believe the Holy Spirit just laid it upon my heart to go through this book, is because this same message needs to be gotten out to the church and to believers today. 
because there is so much out there as far as different doctrines and teachings. There is so much today that is trying to infiltrate the church that is not biblical, that is not scriptural, that is not correct, and we must know what is right. And we as believers are to earnestly, and that means give it everything we got, you know. I, this is not something we just do nonchalantly. And I just wish that I could get believers to, to be more earnest and more diligent and in seeking God and living for the Lord and, and being faithful to the things of God. Because, man, I tell you what, we're in the last days. And things are getting, you know, going to gonna get worse and worse. And, and uh, we need to have a strong faith to stand in these last days. And uh, we as, as Bible believers are going to have to earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith that, was, that has been delivered to us. Amen. And so that's what Jude was writing about. And every true pastor, and I mentioned this last week, that I believe that every true pastor, every true Bible teacher um, is a watchman uh, that is uh, that is sounding the alarm, sounding the alarm today, and we've got to warn of false doctrines and false teaching. I'm going to give an account for what I teach and preach to y'all. Right, I'm going to give an account, and uh, and I I want to, I don't want to to stand before the Lord. And I mentioned this last week. I don't want to stand before the Lord. And have someone's blood upon my hands because they didn't make it and I didn't warn them. All right? And so uh, that's, that's where we stand today as believers. We need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, if you'll remember in verse number 4... And then we got down through verse number 4 last week. But um, uh, he talks about here the reason. Jude gives the reason why he was so impressed to write this letter. And he, he said that there were certain men that had crept in unnoticed. They had crept into the early church. And that word means to slip in unawares or to sneak in. It means to smuggle something in secretly. It means to slip in one translation through the side door. One translation said it, they have wormed their way in to the church. And so there were false teachers that had crept in unnoticed. And he said they were ungodly men. In verse 4, they were ungodly men. And they turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turn the grace of God into lewdness. They pervert the grace of God. One translation, the ESV, says that they pervert the grace of our God uh, into sensuality. The NIV says that they changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And that's what that word uh, lewdness refers to, a license to, to, uh, to sin. So uh, actually what they were doing was they were teaching in that early church, infiltrating the church, and they were telling the believers that it doesn't matter how you live your life because God's grace just automatically covers everything. 
It doesn't matter if you live in sin or not. It doesn't matter how you conduct your behavior. It doesn't matter whether you don't have to live holy life because the grace of God covers everything. And there's a lot of that same kind of teaching that's going on within the church world today. Amen. You know, we have uh, going on today the, what, uh, uh, the grace revolution, Joseph Prince. If you've heard of him, is big in that. And, uh, you know, he teaches that very same thing, that you don't have to confess sin. If you, if you sin, if you mess up as a Christian, you just go on and forget about it. You don't have to ask for forgiveness or anything because grace covers it. It doesn't matter. And uh, so that hyper-grace teaching, the grace revolution that they call it, or a new revelation of grace. But nevertheless, they have turned the grace and are turning the grace of God into a license to sin. And people are following that. I, I, um, I, I was telling Brother Roger the other day a few years ago. It's been a few years ago I was preaching a, a funeral uh, I, was, I was called upon to preach a funeral of a lady that I had worked with at the school that had passed away. And, and uh, I was in the funeral home there and sitting in there and looking through my, uh, reading my scriptures and my notes and getting ready for the, the funeral service. And this, this, uh, a member of this person's family was sitting there and we, we began to talk about church. And they told me where they attended church. And uh, asked me if I knew the pastor, and I said yes. And this young man told me, he said, we are once saved, always saved Pentecostals. And I said, there isn't any such a thing. Not to my knowledge, there isn't. But, but they had subscribed to that teaching of grace that once a person is saved, that no matter what they do, they can never forfeit or, or, or lose or, or forfeit that salvation. And that teaching is pretty prevalent today. And, um, you know, that's just, ladies and gentlemen, that's just not taught in the Bible, in the Word of God. God does, does require us. There's a, there's a change that takes place when we get born again. And the Bible says that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. And there is that requirement that God has given to us as believers to live a different life. Amen. Doesn't mean that we're living a perfect life. Amen. Doesn't mean that we're, we've attained perfection. But, but, but that, that teaching and doctrine of once saved, always saved, that is so prominent today in many of the churches, and it is, that, that teaching is infiltrating into a lot of the Pentecostal full gospel churches, and uh, that is a dangerous doctrine. There are more people today, and I know some of the things I'm going to say tonight may not be, be very popular or hard to, uh, or easy to swallow, but there are more people in hell today because they were taught that once they were saved, no matter what they did, they could never lose or forfeit their salvation, and that's just not true. And that's what, that's what Jude was dealing with. One of the areas he was dealing with, they had turned the grace of God into a license to sin. These false teachers were literally gutting the faith of its more of the moral requirements of God. They were preaching a cheap grace, and we see that happening today. And so we need to be aware of that. Amen.
Got a couple of amens. Praise God. All right. So that's kind of where we left off last week. So let's look at verse number five, if you would. And we are, we are uh, here in verse number five. And Jude now, he's going to get into dealing with these apostates the false teachers, and with the apostasy here that that was going on in the early church. And he's going to give some examples from the Bible that that we're going to go through tonight and look at, all right? So in verse number 5, he says, let me just read verses 5 through 11, and then we'll unpack some of these verses. Hopefully we can get through through to uh, verse number 11 tonight. So verse number 5 says this, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people, notice this, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers, I think the King James says filthy dreamers, defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him A reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of what they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. And notice verse 11, Woe to them. And any time the Bible says woe to somebody, it's not good. All right? It's not good. Woe to them. For they have gone the way of Cain, and they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now Jude, in verse number 5, he says, I want to remind you all of something. And I want to bring some things to your remembrance, though you once knew this. And so the, the, it appears here... Uh, that Jude is saying to them, these believers, now what I'm going to tell you, you one time knew, but you have gotten away from it and you've forgotten about this, so I need to remind you. He didn't say this is something that you know, but it's something that you once knew. He said, you once knew this, and I'm going to remind you. And this is how we teach, and this is how we preach, by constantly reminding people of what the Word of God says. I don't, I don't have any new revelation to give you. You know, there's a lot of people that's wanting something that nobody's ever preached before. 
and uh, something that nobody's ever heard before. But as we'll find out also in Second Peter, Peter said the same thing. We'll talk about that on Sunday when we're, we're dealing with kind of the, the first chapter of, first of Second Peter. But Peter said the same thing. He said, as long as I'm in this body, in this tabernacle, I'm going to continue to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them, he said, I'm going to continue to remind you. And that's what good teaching and preaching does. It's not telling somebody something just one time and then saying, now remember this, I'm not going to tell you again. But it's constantly going over the same truths repetitiously and sowing them in our heart and planting them in our heart. Amen. And that's what Jude is doing here. He said, I'm going to constantly remind you. And he said what he's going to remind them of here. And he's going to use some Bible stories here from the Old Testament to remind them how God in the past has dealt with apostasy and those who have departed from the faith. Now, that's what apostasy is. We mentioned that, that, that Paul said in the last days there would be a great falling away before the revealing of the Antichrist uh, in that time of the rapture of the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, that there would be a, a falling away first. And that word falling away is apostasia. It's the same word that it's the word that is used for a departure or a desertion. And so there's going to be, and there is, a desertion and a departure from the true faith of the Word of God. And so, you know, Paul said it. Uh, he said in the last days, he told Timothy, he said in the last days, he said uh, that, 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 that some shall depart from the faith. And the Spirit speaks this, he said expressly, that some shall depart from the faith. That's an apostasy, a, a departure from from the faith. Now, let me tell you something. You can't depart from something you've never been a part of. You have to be in the faith before you can depart from the faith. And he said that they would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, deceiving spirits, and doctrines of demons. And so here Jude says, says this here. He said, I'm going to remind you of some things that have taken place. Now in verse 21, and we'll get there in a couple of weeks down in verse 21, but I want to bring this to your attention tonight that in verse 21, Jude, after he talks about these apostates and everything, he begins to tell the saints and the believers how to, uh, how to deal with the apostasy. And he says this in verse 21, he said, Keep yourselves... In the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. Now this is also a key verse to the book of Jude because Jude here is saying there are deceivers out there. There are, there are apostate teachers out there and you must be diligent to keep yourself in the love of God. Amen. And uh, in that place of blessing, in that place of God's protection. In other words, he's saying you've got to keep yourself in Christ. And that's our responsibility to maintain our faith in Christ, in His finished work, and to keep ourselves under the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Praise God. So he suggests there, and, and somebody would ask the question, well, is, 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 is Jude suggesting that it's possible for a person to remove themselves from that place of God's blessing? 
That's exactly what he's saying. He's exactly saying that very thing. And he gives three examples here of people who did this. And uh, I want to say this, you know, uh, um, God has given us security in Christ, right? He has given us security in Christ. But it is not an unconditional security or eternal security. Our security in Christ is conditional based upon us remaining in Christ and maintaining our faith in Him and continuing to stay in Him and live for Him. Come on, amen. Amen. Now this is not this is this is not foreign. Uh, shouldn't be to to a group of Pentecostal believers. Amen. So notice that um, that Jude here speaking to the false teachers, and he's also speaking not only to the false teachers but to those who would follow them. So that's why it's very important that we are following the right doctrine. And uh, I, that's why I always tell you, bring your Bibles. You know, there's <laughs> there's some guys that'll get up and preach, and they'll say, "Now you won't need a Bible today because we're not going to talk about, it, or you don't need to turn here, you don't need to turn here. Just trust me. I, I don't want you just to trust me." I want you to follow me in the Word of God. I want you to bring your Bible. We'll put the Scriptures on the screen, but it's good for you to see them in your own Bible or to see them on your iPad or on your iPhone or whatever you use to read the Scriptures with and mark them so you've got them there and you can check out and make sure. Be a good Berean, okay? You know what a Berean does, amen? Remember the Bereans? They searched the Scriptures daily to see if the things Paul was telling them were so. And I want you to be good Bereans and search the Scriptures and make sure that what I'm telling you or anybody else is telling you or YouTube preachers are telling you or TV preachers are telling you, make sure it's correct. All right? So he gives these examples. And the first example that he gives here is the example of Israel in in, in verse number 5. He said, I want to remind you... um, uh, Though you once knew this, and notice this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now he's referring back to the people of Israel being delivered from Egyptian bondage. And there was a great host of people that were delivered from Egypt between two and three million probably. There was 600, I believe the Bible says 650,000 men and that wasn't counting women and children. So the estimates are between 2 and 3 million people that came out of Egypt and was delivered from that bondage. You know how that Israel was in bondage to Egypt for 430 years. They were under a terrible um, um, slavery to Pharaoh. They cried out to the Lord. God heard their prayer and God sent them a deliverer by the name of Moses to bring them out of Egypt. And you know how they were redeemed. How were, they, how were they brought out? It was through the Passover, through the blood of the slain lamb that was applied to the doorposts of their house. And you know that story. There's no need for us to go through all of that, but that the lamb was a type of, of what? 
the type of Jesus. The lamb was slain. The blood was applied to the doorpost and the lentils, the lentils and the doorpost of the house, forming a cross. The blood was applied. Not only was the blood shed, but the blood had to be applied, and the family had to go in the house, eat the roast lamb, and stay in there. If they were outside, when that death angel came out, out from under that blood, they were in trouble. They had to stay in there. And that the, uh, the death angel passes over at, uh, at midnight. Every firstborn child was, uh, was killed where the blood wasn't over the doorpost. But they were brought out of Egypt through that blood of that lamb. Which is what? It's a type of our salvation and our deliverance from the world and from sin and from the powers of darkness. Amen. They went down to that Red Sea. It split open and they came through that Red Sea. Paul and first was it 1 Corinthians 10 talked about how they were baptized uh, unto Moses and in the sea they come through there. It was a type of their, of their baptism or their separation, their death and their resurrection coming out of Egypt and coming through that Red Sea, they drank of that, uh, of that rock, that spiritual drink. Paul said they ate of spiritual food. And he said that rock that followed them, Paul said, was Christ. So I'm talking about a group of people here that were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, brought out of the world, out of Egypt, out of that bondage, and delivered by the blood of Jesus, which represents salvation. Are you with me? God even said that they were redeemed people. And I know that I've read some commentaries that says, well, these people weren't really weren't saved or redeemed. There was, you know, they were, they were just, a lot of them was unsaved, and that may be true. But here's the, here's the thing. God counted them as redeemed. In Exodus 15 and 13, he said, You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. In Deuteronomy 21 and 8, he said, Provide atonement, O Lord, Moses said, for your people Israel whom you have redeemed. Amen. So this is the point that I'm making. But these people had been delivered and redeemed from God, by God from the tyranny of Egypt. But because God's people who were delivered by Him did not keep themselves in the assurance of His love and provision, they turned from God and perished in the wilderness. You remember when Moses was up on the mountain there for 40 days getting the Ten Commandments, and they said, he's been gone too long. He ain't coming back. And you know, a lot of people's got that idea today about the Lord. He's been gone too long. He ain't coming back. And, and, and so they told Aaron, said, make us gods that we can worship. Make us some gods. And so he got all their jewelry, their gold, and he made a golden calf. And they were all dancing around and they were worshiping that thing. And here's the thing about it, ladies and gentlemen. They were worshiping an idol. And you know what they were calling that idol? Yahweh. They said, this is Yahweh. This is our God who brought us out of Egypt. They were worshiping a false god, but they were calling it by the name of the Lord. But they turned from God. Over two million began the journey to the promised land and came out of Egypt. But how many of them made it to the promised land? Anybody remember? 
Joshua and Caleb, only two, them and their families, Caleb and Joshua alone remained faithful to God when everyone else perished in the wilderness after being saved and redeemed by the blood. So here is Jude's warning. Don't think because God has rescued you from your sins that you can presume upon His grace. Amen? Don't think that you can presume upon His grace and live any way you want to because going back to what He said they were doing, they were making grace a license to sin. The people that God delivered from Egypt never experienced the delight of the promised land. They never made it over there into their full inheritance but wound up turning around. And they were always wanting to go back to Egypt, always wanting to go back to Egypt. They never experienced that delight of, of, of entering into the fullness of God, but they became apostates, and that's what Jude is talking about here. Now, the writer of Hebrews bears this very same thing out because in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19, he says, Beware brethren. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to brethren, isn't he? He says, Beware brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. Notice this, Hebrews 3.14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, for who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned? whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey, so we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. They apostatized. They turned away from the Lord. And so Jude here is using Israel's experience on the threshold of the promised land to explain that even some among God's people can today still turn away from the right way and go away from God. And that's, we need to know that. We need to make our calling. And, and that's in the scriptures we'll deal with um, on Sunday. But we need to make, Paul's, uh, uh, Peter said, to make our calling and election sure. Amen? Are y'all still with me? You still there? Okay. Praise God. So some of the false teachers had come from the ranks of, unbel- of the believers. Some of these false teachers had one time been a part. They were still a part of the church, but they had been teachers that were teaching the right way. But now they had apostatized and fallen away from true teaching and began to teach some false doctrines. And that's what Jude is warning these believers against. And so the doom that fell upon the unbelievers of Israel, Jude is saying, will fall on anyone who forsakes Christ. Anyone who forsakes Christ. Now look at verse number 6. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to hurry, aren't we? Look at verse number 6. He gives the example, another example. Jude 
gives uh, uh, three examples here. And the second one is an example of the angels. And it says in verse six for, 6, For the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Peter dealt with this same thing in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. He said, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to chains of darkness to be reserved to judgment. So you know the story about the fall of Lucifer, right? We've talked about that and uh, it's in um, um, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. But Lucifer was the highest created being that was created by God. Evidence is that he even led worship in heaven. He was perfect in all of his ways. And uh, the Bible speaks of in Ezekiel of his pipes and timbrels that were in him. So he, was, uh, he had a lot to do with the music and with the worship in heaven. And so he, uh, but Lucifer, uh, because of his beauty, he was lifted up in pride. He chose to go his own way. He rebelled against God. And according to what we found out in Revelation chapter 12, he drew a third of the stars from heaven, a third of the host of the angels he led in that rebellion with him. Those angels joined Satan's rebellion against God, and they fell. They left they left their uh, own abode. They left their, um, their first estate. They left a place around the throne of God where they were in perfection. They rebelled against God, joined Lucifer in that rebellion, left their positions of authority, left their dwelling with God, which resulted in their doom. Now, what did God do to Lucifer? And now I know the universalists are saying they're all going to be saved. That's not true, ladies and gentlemen. Universalism and, and that uh, the doctrine of inclusion and the teaching of inclusion, Rob Bell and many others um, in the emergent church are teaching that stuff that, uh, that, that in the end God's having to change a heart. Everybody's going to be saved and go to heaven. Even Lucifer's going to be saved and the fallen angels. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible says. And so God didn't just say, well, I'm a God of grace. And God's always been a God of grace. And He didn't say, hey, my grace is covering you. It doesn't matter what you all have done and your rebellion against me. I'm just going to forgive you all. That didn't happen. Amen. He cast them down. They rebelled against Him. And they lost that position they had. Those angels who were once pure, once holy, once living in God's presence, once worshiping Him in heaven, did not keep that place. God judged them and cast them from that exalted position. So the point is this, ladies and gentlemen, that even angels were cast down to hell and chained with darkness and God is reserving them for eternal punishment after they had one time been in right favor and graces with God. So Jude is using this to warn people these Christians, if it happened to the angels, if it happened to the Israelites, it can happen to you. Don't follow this wrong teaching, he's telling them. Amen? And we're not going to go into, you know, there's, you know, if God judged such glorious beings as Lucifer, how much, and those angels, how much will he also judge false teachers today? Amen. 
I don't have time to go into them being chained because we know that all angels are not chained. There's only certain uh, there's only a certain class or group of angels that are chained and held in darkness and chained in a a, a, a place in the underworld awaiting judgment. And um, we know who those are. All angels aren't because we have principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world. And I don't believe the fallen angels are demons. I believe those the demons are separate uh, beings from fallen angels. But uh, during the time of Noah, the, and Jude is re- referencing this, and Peter did as well, that there were uh, certain angels that came to earth and uh, left their own abode, their own habitation, cohabited with women, produced a race of that race of giants that we read about in Genesis chapter 6 that are known as the Nephilim. Uh, They did not remain in their own realm. They did not remain in their proper domain, but entered the human realm and married the daughters of men. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 6 and uh, verses 1 through 6, 7, Eight down through there but I'm not going to take the time to go through that why did they do that there was actually two eruptions of those uh, angels that did that and God now has them all locked away in that prison awaiting judgment but it was a scheme and a plan of Satan and an attempt to do away with the pure Adamite stock and with the pure Adamite race to, to keep the seed of the woman from coming into the world to defeat him he knew that there was going to be a righteous seed of woman that would come that would be the redeemer that would bruise his head and he was tainting the the human race Uh, they were kind of a hybrid kind of thing transhumans I guess they would have been but it, it, it affected the gene pool of humanity that's why God chose Noah saved him spared him and his family and destroyed the entirety of the world and as the days of Noah so will it be in the days of the coming of the son of man they're messing with people's gene pools now amen so anyway that's a whole nother study but uh, nevertheless it's stated here that those angels live contrary to nature it's stated that they committed fornication and they abandoned the sphere which God had marked out for them and they're now in chains of darkness so Jude gives the angels that sinned as another example of don't you follow false teaching, but continue to live for the Lord. The third example was Sodom and Gomorrah. You could preach a whole message on every one of these, but Sodom and Gomorrah, how many is familiar with them? Verse number 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah, here's the third example, and the cities round about them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example. Who is an example? Sodom and Gomorrah is set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, at one time, Sodom and Gomorrah was a, was a very beautiful place. It was, a, it was actually a blessed place. The Bible says, you know, when Lot went there and him and Abraham separated and Abraham told Lot, he said, you take, you take whatever, go wherever you want to go and I'll take the other side. And the Bible said that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere 
before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was like the garden of the Lord. So these people were living in prosperity. They were blessed. But here was the thing. They turned away from the Lord, and they became very, very wicked, and God destroyed them. And so God's giving, Jude's giving here a very sober warning. He's saying, we are saved. We are children of God. And he's telling these people that you are, you, and he addressed them as beloved. He addressed them as being called and sanctified. And he, he says to them, we're saved, but so were those who died in the wilderness, but they turned away. He said, we're worshipers, but so were the angels who are now in chains of darkness. He said, we've been blessed, but so were those who were destroyed by their own depravity there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and so we have to you know, we're not, to, we're not to go through life living in fear. And I know people say, well, you know, you, you Pentecostals or you, you, you folks, you know, you believe that you can just have, be saved today and lose it the, the tomorrow. That's not what we believe. I don't go to bed tonight and worry if I'm going to get up in the morning and have lost my salvation and wander around. Oh, I don't know where my salvation is. Where's my salvation? I think I've lost my salvation. Amen. Some Christians act like they have lost that. Amen. But, but let me tell you something. No, you, you, don't, you don't just lose your salvation. You, people walk away from the Lord. They walk away from their salvation. And it's not a, you know, I've said this so many times, backsliding is not a blowout. It's a slow leak. It happens over a period of time. And Satan is very patient with people to entice them and lead them astray. And what I'm telling you and what Jude is telling us here is that we as believers must always be diligent and on guard for, for, for being led away because there are many that are falling by the wayside. But Jude said here of those in Sodom and Gomorrah that they gave themselves over to sexual immorality and were gone after strange flesh. The sin of Sodom was what? Going after what? Strange flesh. Isn't that what Jude said? What was that? It was, it was perversion. It was homosexual activity. When those angels went to Sodom, and Lot, and they were, in, they were angels of the Lord in human form, and Lot brought those angels into his home to spend the night. Um, the, there was a, a mob of people from Sodom, of men from Sodom, that came and surrounded Lot's house and tried to break the door down. Remember that? They, 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 said, they said to Lot, where are those men that came in you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. What were they, what were they there to do? These evil men of Sodom, were there, were, they were going to gang rape these two angels. These two angels that had appeared there as men. I mean, they didn't know they were angels, but they were, they were in human form. And Lot went out through the doorway and said to them, Please, my brother, do not do so wickedly. 
The NIV said that those men of Lot said, bring them out to us that, that we may have sex with them. And so this was the sin. This was the perversion. They were going after strange flesh. That, the, the sin, and I'm going to say this, and, uh, and I'm going to tell you something. The sin that caused God to rain fire and brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy them was going after strange flesh. It was the sin, the perversion, the ungodliness of homosexuality. It was. And this nation, if you listened to any of that State of the Union last night, our president was up there how we're going to... We're go, he said, if you try to uh, pass a law that, that, that does away with abortion, I will veto it. I, I don't see... Boy, God's got a lot of grace, doesn't he? Amen. In other words, we're going to keep killing babies and there ain't anything you can do about it. And, and he said, we're going to keep uh, this, this marriage law intact. In we're, we're going to be proponents of same-sex marriage. It's perversion. And I'm going to tell you, this nation will be judged just as Sodom and Gomorrah was judged for the perversion that's here. In this, in this nation. We're not going to compromise the Word of God. But here's what's taking place and what's happening today is because of the fact that God's grace is being turned into license. And I told you last week, I mentioned about a church uh, that, um, that was, was, you know, um, totally opening up their doors to homosexual activity and to homosexuals. They're baptizing them. They're saying that they're saved, that they're Christians and all of this type of thing. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something tonight. That those, and it's very clear in the Bible, and I, I want to say this with all the love. I know it probably doesn't affect any of us here, but we need to understand this. And anybody that may watch this may want to cut it off or may want to get mad or whatever the case. But I'm telling you that the Bible is very clear that those who practice a homosexual lifestyle will not go to heaven. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, and this preacher that I'm referring to, that uh, he, he, uses, he says these scriptures that we use are clobber scriptures that we use to clobber the homosexual, but it's not. It's what Paul was a champion of grace, wasn't he? Did Paul write a lot about grace? I mean, he's a champion of grace. But Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and he said in verse 9 of chapter 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Paul said. Do not be deceived. There's people being deceived about this today, ladies and gentlemen. He said, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he went, said in verse 11, And such were some of you. Talking to that church. He said, such were. You were like this, but you're not that way anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Come on, amen. 
God can and will transform and change the life of the homosexual and the transvestite and the cross-dresser and, uh, you know, all this transgender mess. God will save them. And if they truly repent of their sin and get right with the Lord, He will change them. And the church is to be a place of forgiveness and healing for repentant homosexuals. A place of healing and forgiveness for repentant homosexuals without compromising our stance against homosexual behavior. Can we do that? Absolutely we can do that. Amen? And so, gosh, I'm not going to get done. A few years ago, I made that statement. I don't remember what I was preaching on, but from this pulpit I said that, uh, just made the statement, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin of homosexuality. And boy, I mean, a guy nailed me right here after church. Came up, had his Bible, opened it up, and he said, I want to show you something. I said, okay, what is it? He opened up his Bible and he confronted me and he said, God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. I said, yeah, he did. No, he didn't. So he opened his Bible to Ezekiel 16, 49. I don't know how many are familiar with this verse, but this is one of their favorite verses. Ezekiel 16, 49, Ezekiel says this. He says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, An abundance of idleness, kind of sounds like America. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And this was his argument. See, the sin of Sodom, he said, was not homosexuality. It was was, uh, pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, and not strengthening the hand of the poor. But you know, anytime somebody wants to try to teach something that isn't true, they try to pull one scripture out. So let's look at the next verse. Let's take it in context. Because verse 50 says this. Let's read it all together. 49 and 50. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw fit. What was the abomination that they... See, he didn't read that verse. And the abomination that they committed that caused God to take them away. Well, yeah, the pride and the haughtiness and the abundance of idleness and the fullness of food, all of that led to that. But it led to their, 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 the abomination of going after... And Jude very well plainly spells it out. They went after strange flesh, immorality, fornication after strange flesh. And that, that, that means that there was sexual union that God never intended there to be between males and males and females and females. And He said so in, a, in Leviticus 18.22. He said, you shall not lie with... With a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. So we've got to preach the truth, but tell them, listen, we're not going to compromise our stand 
But we are going to tell you if you will truly repent of your sin, God will forgive you and God will change you. But God is not going to accept you into the kingdom of God with that lifestyle. But yet there's, being, there's those in getting back to Jude, the apostates are teaching that today. Likewise, verse 8, these filthy <clears throat> dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Filthy dreamers, dreamers that defile and pollute the flesh. They're living in an unreal world, ladies and gentlemen. They're dreaming. They're living in an unreal, an unreal world in a dream world of delusion, believing that God is fine with the way that they're living when He's not. It's deception. It's deception. The word used for dreamers also is the same word that is used in Joel chapter 2. and It's used in Acts chapter 2. Your uh, uh, old men will dream dreams. Young men see visions. Old men will dream dreams. And refers to godly dreams, but it's also used of uh, false dreams and visions of false prophets in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 3. So these false teachers claimed that they had received special revelation for the false teaching that they were given. And the claim they had, they, they claimed they had visions and dreams from the Lord, but those visions and dreams were not from Him, but they were just to deceive people. Just to deceive people. They reject authority. He said they speak evil to dignitaries. They despise and speak against God's ultimate authority. Verse 9 talks about Michael the archangel contending with the devil and disputing over the body of Moses. We talked a little bit about this when we were talking about the two witnesses in Revelation. We don't really know a whole lot about this other than Moses died up on Mount Nebo, and him and God was just there by themselves. And Moses died, and the Bible said that God buried him, and no one knew, even to that day, where the sepulcher was where God buried him. But there was a dispute that obviously went on between Michael the archangel and Satan concerning the body of Moses. And for some reason or another, God... Uh, has put the body of Moses away for a purpose, but the devil wanted it and was laying claim to it, and he was disputing with Michael. Now, whether God had Michael to come and do the burying, I don't know. It said God buried him, but Michael was there, the archangel. But nevertheless, it said that, uh, that Michael did not even give a railing accusation against Satan, but he just said this, The Lord rebuke you. And what Jude's talking about here is giving that as an example of the arrogance of these false prophets, of these uh, apostate teachers, the arrogant speech that they use, their, their speech against the things of God and about, you know, they just, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, the, the pride that they have. And, um, you know, we have victory in Christ, but nevertheless, Michael the archangel didn't even bring a railing accusation against Satan. He, ha he did have, Michael did have, still yet have, respect for the position authority that Lucifer had. But he did say, 
the Lord to rebuke you. And that was the end of the matter. So praise God. You're in Christ. You've got the name of Jesus. You don't have to get arrogant, you know, and prideful with the devil. I think about those um, sons of Sceva that tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, but you do have authority. And so there's not a whole lot we know about that verse, so that's just my two cents for right now, okay? Amen. Dake, Dake says this about that verse. He says, a good example, that Michael is a good example for saints today who sometimes rail on Satan and insult him. And uh, the Bible never tells us to rail on him and insult him. It just tells us to use the name of Jesus to stand against him and to resist him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. We will get done, I think. But I'm going to have to run. I'm going to have to run through it. Verse 10. These speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And let's just look at these three, three more examples real quickly that Jude gives here for, um, for these apostate teachers. He said, They've gone in the way of Cain. What was that? It was a, it was a self-made religion. God required what? A blood sacrifice. Isn't that right? Abel brought the, the lamb, the blood sacrifice. It was accepted. But Cain, Cain, what did he do? He invented his own form of worship. And that's what these false teachers do. And they lead people away from the cross and into other areas that um, are their own makings and their own way of worshiping God and their own belief system. But Cain rejected God's way of salvation through the blood of the, and the cross. And they're doing the same thing today and in Jude's day. In verse 11b, he said that he gives the example of Balaam. He said they've run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. And here Jude unmasked the fundamental motive of these false teachers. You know why they were leading people astray? You know why they were tickling their ears? You know why they were telling them that, that, that God's grace, they could do anything they want to and they didn't have to live like those old Pentecostals say you got to live? You know why they were doing that? They were doing it for money. They were doing it for money. And, and he said they've gone after greedily. They're greedy and they've gone after the heir of Balaam for profit. Micah 3.11, God speaking of the, of the leaders in Israel said, The heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire. Peter said that by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. Or the King James says they'll make merchandise of you. See, Balaam became a prophet for hire, ladies and gentlemen. He became a prophet for hire. He was a true prophet that went wrong for financial gain. Gain, And he is a prime example of false teachers who love wealth and love prestige more than faithfulness and obedience to the Word of God. And there's so many of them out there like that today. They'll say anything or teach anything to fill their pews, to get more offerings in, to get more money in the, in the till. Amen? But I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you what. doesn't matter who comes here, what the offer is. We can't be like Balaam. Balaam at first resisted. He said, no, I, I, can't, I can't curse Israel. I can't do anything. I can't curse them. I, even if you give me your whole house of gold and silver, I couldn't curse them. But they came back. 
back with a, with a bigger reward. And they made it look even more palatable to him and, and, and more appeasing and pleasing to him until he said, well, I'll go, but I can only say. And God gave him up, but God told him to go. He could go. But he said, I can only say what the Lord puts in my mouth. And he did. He blessed them three different times. But then the error of Balaam was that Balak offered him so much money, so much money, so much wealth that he told Balak, he said, this was the doctrine of Balaam. He said to Balak, he said, I can't curse them, but I can tell you how to get God to curse them. He said, you get some of your most beautiful Moabite women and send them down there with some of those idols and entice them and lead them into sin. And if you can get them to go into sin and, and fornication and, and into idolatry, God will curse them himself. And that's exactly what happened. So here was a man that started out a right prophet, but he went the wrong direction. Amen? And he, he said, you know, Balaam said, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my end be like his. But you know what? He wanted to die the death of the righteous, but he didn't want to live the life of the righteous. And Balaam died when Israel came and destroyed Mount Moab. Balaam was killed with the rest of Balak and the rest of the Moabites. And Balaam, who at one time was a true prophet and prophesied some awesome things about, about Israel and about Christ himself, is in hell today. I knew that would bring just sound round of amens and applause. But he is. He lost out with God. And so Jude said, that's the way these apostate teachers are doing. They're doing it for profit, for money. And then the third one's the rebellion of Korah. How many remember Korah? Numbers chapter 16. You know who Korah was? Did you know Korah was Moses? A cousin of Moses. He was of the tribe of Levi. And he had significant duties in the tabernacle. All the Levites did. They had a place in the tabernacle. But you know what got under Korah's crawl? Was that he was not chosen to be a priest. He wanted to be the leader. And he became irate. And he said, you know what, Moses, you're not the only one to lead this bunch. He said, any of us can do that. But the only thing was, Moses just happened to be the one God chose to do it. And so Corey enlisted Dathan and Abiram and 250 other men to join him in a rebellion against Moses' leadership. He opened, openly rebelled against authority and rallied others in that rebellion. And you know what? That happens today a lot. Many follow and support false teachers today and rebel against the true word of God. But you know what? God quickly ended the rebellion of Korah. Remember how that, how that ended up? Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and 250 of those guys all there. And Moses, that was when Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? <laughs> Let him come over here. And he said, man, you need to get away from him because God's getting ready to do something different here. God's getting ready to show who the leader is. Of this group and the earth opened up and swallowed them up here was a man who was a cousin of Moses was a Levite was involved in the in the in the um, work there and the duties there in the tabernacle was set apart and sanctified and led a rebellion and went alive into hell so what's Jude saying to us I guess I've encouraged everybody enough
What's Jude saying to the believers of his day and what's he saying to us today? He's saying, beware of false teaching and be diligent to contend for the faith that's once and all delivered. Don't be led astray. Don't think that you can live any kind of life and, and, and still go to heaven. But live for Jesus. Stay on the straight and narrow path and make it to heaven. That's what he's saying. Straight steal the gate, narrow steal the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Let's be some of that few that's on it. Amen. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Praise God. Amen. Amen. There's not many... Not a whole lot of preaching and teaching done on the book of Jude or 2 Peter either because they both books deal with the same issues. But they're very important for us today in this day of a falling away. Father, thank you for your word tonight. For those who have come out to worship with us, hide this word in our hearts. Strengthen us and encourage us in the things of the Lord every day of our life. Bring us back here on Sunday for a great, great time in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Shake hands, be friendly. We love and appreciate you.